0: Hey, everybody. It's A Billion Bad Ideas. This week, I want to talk about characters, um, and I want to start us off with what I think will be a, a a good and also easy question since I've ambushed you both with, uh, with this topic out of all the characters you've written, who is your favorite? And when I, my thought is main characters and, you know, in secondary main ish characters, you know, just because side characters that kind of come and go, like those are kind of cheating. Cause it's easy to make them, you know, totally wild. But like, who are the characters that you have sustained through a whole book that you love the most. Um, I want to, and I think this week, uh, Luna, what do you, what's your, who's your favorite character
1: that you've written? Um, my favorite character probably of not just in this series, but of any, any characters I've created um, is Hube <laughs> from the Joe vampire series, which for anybody who might be listening, does isn't, know what the name name hube even (laughs) means because it doesn't sound like a real name um the main character is named joe he calls himself joe vampire um because he's trying to stay anonymous and his best friend's name is hubert pullman and he is the rock solid ideal best friend character who is always there for you never lets you down who only goes away when you tell him you need to go away because he doesn't know anything but loyalty. And the background of the character as it grew in the story, he comes from an abusive home. He comes from a very broken background. And Joe's family became his family when he was a child. Um, And so he's grown up in this family unit. So he's more than just a friend. He's part of the family. But he's such a good-hearted character that I took him in some dark places in book two and book three on purpose so we could start giving him a little more shading um, because it it was there's a danger in making a character that's not just one that you like but one that's actually good in that they're very vanilla and they don't really (laughs) add a lot they're just there for you know as a sounding board or support i wanted him to have some darkness in him too even though you know his his compass is always straight so i put him through some Really hard stuff. And You're kind of
0: previewing some of the other questions I want to ask, which is great. Um, oh, cool. I won't about how you you know, multi-dimensional <laughs> characters. Yeah, uh, I've read your series, and I I agree. Hub is he's he's really the quintessential ride or die friend, right? Who he doesn't get treated particularly well a lot of the time, right? um yeah. But still, and and he to me he he's written in a way that he seems like the, an actual person, like he responds to being treated poorly in the way that a really good friend would respond to that. Um, In a sense that, you know, he doesn't, he never leaves Joe, but also like he, you know, he, he confronts Joe about, about being treated not necessarily well. Yeah. Um, There's a lot of humanity in that character, even though his name is Hube.
1: (laughs) I think that's great. That's um, the, and the name came to me like, I know artists always say, you know, writers say, oh, it spoke to me, blah, 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 whatever those, you know, typical things are. But really, um, in my idea voice in my head, when I was creating a character that was just an Orchid A guy who turns into a vampire, um, there was some element of me mentally that said, and his best friend's name is Hugh. Because I did know somebody, that, there was a high school. Person, I wasn't really friends with him, but the name Hubert that went around. And I always just thought, that's such an interesting name. It's almost on the cusp of being kind of humorous, but it's also got this really classical kind of, um, you know, element to it. And it never really occurred to me when I picked Hube that it would be part of Hubert. So at some point when I was writing the books, I had to think about why did I pick that name? And should I change that before I hit, you know, publish? And I realized, no, he he came with a story that was already told. I just had to kind of listen to the rest of it.
0: Yeah, and I want to I want to put a pin in that because I want to talk very specifically about you know the characters telling their own stories. So we'll we'll
2: circle back. Um,
0: ben, who's your favorite character you've written?
2: Um, I, I find it interesting you say Cube, Steve, because uh, one of my favorite characters is also like a, the loyal best friend. Um, and for a lot of those same reasons. I think a lot of people it resonates with a lot of people because I think a lot of people view themselves as that loyal best friend. Um but I've I've done a couple of those and uh my favorite character though is and it kind of comes as a pair, but uh the main character is Damien Stockwell, and I think I like him because no one else does. Um (laughs) he's uh he's in three of my books, the the bullet the bulletproof adventures of Damien Stockwell, and he is um uh, uh, boastful. And I think what's fun about him is he's very different from a lot of the other characters I've written. I think I talked about this on the last episode too, a little bit is he's, you know, you, you get into writing what, you know, the, 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 protagonist in a way that a lot of people, you know, it, if you're writing to a genre or whatever, it, um, and it gets a little, you know, I just want to make sure I'm not doing the same thing over and over again. So Stockwell was, um, written to break definitely from what i had been writing before. And he's uh, arrogant and boastful and um, so narcissistic, but ultimately good hearted. And I think that's what makes him fun. Like he doesn't even, none of his annoying tendencies are really meant to be that way. And he's not even necessarily as consumed with himself as he thinks he is. He's just, yeah, he really is that good. He is that strong he is that you know competent and capable a lot of the time but the uh, what I think brings that out is he has a loyal best friend in uh, his valet or his valet uh, Bertrand who is a, a French valet and um, he's a, he is that loyal friend as well and I think through he's the more relatable character, and I think his loyalty to Stockwell makes Stockwell a little easier for people to to take because he is a bit much. But I enjoy writing him a ton, and I really enjoyed the dynamic between the two of them, which uh, over the course of three books, I've got to ex- explore their history a little bit and explore a little bit more of their story. And those two are always, always fun.
0: Yeah, I love you know, you said something interesting, I think, which was, we all like to see ourselves as the supportive best friend. Um, and I think that's true. And I think, uh, you know, that there's the, the, maybe the general idea of the public is like writers see themselves as the hero, which, you know, to an extent is true too, but you're right. Like it's not, the hero of a story gets so abused. Um, it really is kind of like the best friend that that kind of is the unsung hero of stories, and I, I I'm interested in that because I when I would thought about this idea for myself, since I had the privilege of you know having several days to think about this, one of my I have a lot of favorite characters. One of them is um, Polunu from my book Nakua Na and he is yeah, exactly he is that supportive best friend and like that kind of innocent, kind, generous, you know, knowledgeable like. That really, you know, archetypal uh, best friend who gets kind of fucked over in the end. Um, And that was, that really speaks to me, even though the character and I have nothing in common, right? But I think for me, when I think about my favorite character I've written, I think actually my favorite character is Mallory from uh, Anomaly Flats. And to me, like, uh, I, I, it's funny. I, I look at, like, reviews of all my work, you know, and I, I see people talking about, you know, Patrick and Ben from ApocalypseCon as, you know, the, kind of the the id of Clayton or the ego of Clayton. And, like, me, like, readers feel that I pour myself into those characters, and they're very right. But um, I, I think about Mallory, and Mallory and I don't have a lot in common, but she is a character who... She goes for it like and she is so uh, the whole idea of Mallory was that she has to be a character who is likable enough, but not very likable because of the way Anomaly Flats ends. We have to kind of we have to root for her and also simultaneously against her. And that was a really fun challenge for me. And um, and that that challenge of making her both approachable and detestable. Um, made her, I think my favorite because she was such a challenge and, and she's, you know, she, she exists on, in this way that is polarizing to people still. Um, and to me, that's been really fun, but I, I, I totally understand like the the supportive best friend character is a, it's a character that I think we all gravitate. I think it's really interesting that we all kind of at least considered, um, the, the best friend from stories as maybe our, our favorites. And I wonder, I wonder what that says about us as writers, or I wonder what that says about storytelling.
1: I have a theory. Okay. I have a theory. I think for the protagonist, I think, w- at least from my experience, I create a situation that um, I'm not sure that I could get through in order to get this character, this main character to be, doubtful of themselves and to go up and down and ride you know this roller coaster track of emotional growth and development that they have to they have to have um in writing those sorts of things you take it all over the place and you can be you know it can be as wild as it needs to be because really this this person has no agency (laughs) they're finding their agency As the story develops, and hopefully that's what they've come to by the end, if you've written a fulfilling story in that way. But when we write the best friend characters, we're writing the idealist version of what we would want for ourselves if we were really the protagonist in the story. So if I were really going through these things and somebody had to say to me, hey, this is what you you need to do or advise me or sort of be there to support me. It's almost like we're running around the other side comforting ourselves with this this model of what a best friend would do for us if we were if we were the main character. So we're creating this perfect and really in all those instances, I can't think of an instance where, you know, the best friend turns out to be a villain in any of our, you know, our stories. Um, We're creating that almost for ourselves, like, gosh, this is my wish list of qualities in somebody who would (laughs) let me treat them like shit, but never go away. Um, you know, it has that sense of, of them being sort of, um, counseled to us as, as people with our ideals, you know, kind of stuffed in there.
0: Well, Ben has robo Bertrand, which is, uh, it's, you know, close to to being betrayed but um that's interesting (laughs) that you say that i think now as you're (laughs) as you're saying that like it makes a lot of sense because i i this is true for me maybe it's true for you i assume it is but maybe it's not but um i put so much myself into my main characters and i think you both do too that it that's 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 a theory that resonates like the the friend is kind of the moral compass of that person yeah. in the way that we wish that sure. really like someone would be a moral compass for us
1: if we were sure. in that position. I think it's a natural process because if you're going to contrast them, like the best friend can't also be, you know, complaining about the same things that the main characters, because then you don't really have any anywhere to go. So it's kind of by necessity that you have this contrast for the best friend um, to present so it almost feels like and I've written other stories where I've got a you know main character, best friend kind of combination and they all play out differently, but they all have that same kind of sense. It really does have this sort of <laughs> dreamy quality of like, huh, I wonder how far I could push somebody <laughs> before they would, you know, and would they still comfort me? It's a great place for you to work out those sorts of things like um, probably where you're going to go next with your next question to flesh those characters out so that not only the individual characters feel three-dimensional, but the relationship feels three-dimensional. And you get concepts covered by one or the other if you're not going to have them. But like, you know, if somebody's going to do something bad, you can't have the other person say, yeah, and do that. You have to have some sort of, that's a conflict. You you need a foil, right? Exactly, Mm -hmm. yeah.
0: But also, I mean, in a sense, what you're saying is, we, maybe we write characters as a sort of therapy for
2: ourselves, right? Absolutely. Oh, ben, yeah. do you feel no, that I hope with hope not. Your, with no, no I hope not. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I've written some horrible people. When you were kind of going through one thing, I was almost wanting to change my answer to another, another character. When you're talking about Mallory <laughs> and making Mallory, Mallory, you know, likable because she's the uh, protagonist, but maybe not too likable because, you know, where things are going. Um, one of my other favorite, absolute favorite characters is John from the Dads versus Zombies and Dads versus uh, the World series. And one of the challenges that um, I found was my mom didn't like John at all, hmm. and so I was like, when I wrote Dad versus the World, those short stories first, and he was just this character. He's, he's getting no filter, <laughs> no patience for others. No, you know, he's just he's he's out there with everything, which makes him a lot of fun to write. And he's an asshole. I mean, just straight up, he's an asshole. So when I started writing the the Dads versus Zombies story, I wrote as a serial, um, my mom really didn't like John. So the challenge became how despicable and hateful can I make John and still redeem him at the end and still get my mom to like him at the end? And it became <laughs> that writer's challenge. But I hope there's there's none of me hidden. there's a rant against running which is hundred percent me. But like for the most part now, I, I, I hope I'm a little more better behaved than some of my characters.
0: But do you feel your characters are sort of an outlet for you to rant about things that I, I don't know, like to you're not obviously going to rant about the same things necessarily, but to, to kind of express a general, Distaste or frustration, or with something kind of you know big picture that you can channel into characters who can take no. that energy and, and funnel it somewhere else. Or are you just doing it just for you know uh, for the sake of that character?
2: No, that that's fair. Some of them are like yeah, they get to they get to rant and reel and it's a little bit venting, I guess. Uh, vicariously through them, especially that, especially the dad series. A lot of the other stuff though, I don't know. I mean, I'm going for the laugh. I'm going for jokes. So it's more about what makes that character, um, uh, yeah, what can get a laugh out of that character. But at the same time, going back to the best friend thing, like that's what makes a best friend as a character so good is because they can be brutally honest. They can be there to encourage the protagonist or to keep them grounded if they're getting a little too full of themselves. You know, tough love can be hilarious if it's coming from the right person, and the the best friend has a lot of latitude in dealing with the protagonist of how they can how they can deal with them, and, uh, and there's a lot of potential for for humor in that as as well. So, um,
1: I think the best friend character also redeems. So, the protagonist can be kind of a dirtbag, somewhat likable, and you know you have to root for them because it's their story. The best friend character is is the way you can redeem them without letting the main character soften too much if you don't want to, because there's really, there's really a you know comeuppance that has to come out through it. And the best friend is the one who can deliver that and say, listen, get your head on straight. So you can let your, and I, I used that, I leaned on that. You can let your character go really far with some not likable characteristics and some actions that are very questionable. As long as you have somebody in there because really, also, when you think about it, the best friend is playing the reader. The reader is not necessarily the protagonist. The protagonist is doing things and the reader has no control. So reader is identifying more with the people around the protagonist who are saying they're reacting to what the protagonist is doing. And so am I as the reader. So if I say, oh, my God, I can't believe this guy's going to get away with this. I need somebody in the story to actually Fulfill that for the reader, too, so that the reader knows, wow, this writer is just not very good at people. You say, no, no, there's no, there's a way. This this will come through. And it's a lot about trust building, too, with your readers to say, I guarantee you, you may not like everything that this person does, but there's going to be a reason for it. And the best friend helps you resolve those things so that you don't just leave somebody hanging with, wow, oh, that was a really crappy character. And I read the whole book and I kept <laughs> waiting for somebody yeah. to call out their crap and they never did <clears throat>
0: You're right. I don't think I've ever actually thought about those secondary characters that way. But the sub-character really is like they're the conscience kind of in, in a lot of instances of the writer and of yeah. the public. And I now I'm thinking of, you know, I love Mallory, but I think I wouldn't love Mallory so much if she didn't have Lewis. So for those <laughs> who haven't read Anomaly Flats, like Lewis is not a best friend character for Mallory because they're strangers to each other. But he is and he's you know, he's not necessarily relatable but he is kind of a, he's a scientist who is kind of a diehard optimist, right? And so he kind of, he counteracts Mallory's negativity and sarcasm at every turn. And you're right, like that kind of, it's a stand-in for the reader and for my better sensibilities as a mm-hmm. writer to have someone to be like, yeah, but look how cool and exciting and interesting mm-hmm. this thing is. You're right, that's interesting.
1: It gives you a track and up and a down instead of just a up, 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 or a down, 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 where... And I mean, it's a form of complexity. You hope that it doesn't come off as like overworked. But when it fits together that way, it sort of comes in at the moment when you can predict the reader is probably tired of hearing, you know, this person talk about how bad these things are. The other character comes in and says, hey, don't worry, I've got it. So So they get um, they get the up and down, not just with one character, but they get it with multiple characters. And what that also lets me do is like the other characters around (laughs) around the main character can be as horrible as I want them to be. They can be as good as I want. It doesn't matter as long as this trust factor with the secondary character is there. He can kind of swivel and kind of help the character makes sense of all the other stuff, but also help the reader make sense of all that other stuff. So you get a lot of Liberty when you kind of plant them in the right place and say, all right, everything else is a free for all. This person is going to be the grounder of the whole thing.
0: Now that you say that, like I, I, I just now realizing for the first time, I rely on that a lot, right. For (laughs) anomaly flats, for sure. Like even Naakua, like balloon is the rock for great. Like I, that's, that's a really great mechanism. So I think, this all leads me into my next big question. And this is kind of the bigger question of the, of the episode. I think so. How do you two write characters that are relatable and multidimensional? Because I think both of you do a really, really wonderful job of, of writing characters. And, um, My, you know, I, I could talk about this later, but I, you know, my, my early ventures into writing a novel, like my, one of my big problems was my, I couldn't figure out how to write a character that was interesting and not flat. Right. So, and you've, you've both done a really good job of writing really, to me as a reader, really fleshed out multidimensional characters. What is your process for actually like thinking about a character and making that character feel like a real person? And Ben, I would love to
2: have you start us off on this. Oh, um that's a good question. I think a lot of what I do um is playing with type, is playing with genre. Like I, you know, the first book I put out was the post-apocalyptic parody and it was it was it was Mad Max if shot by, you know, the Zucker brothers. That was the, that was the idea from the beginning. So I think a lot of it was almost at the beginning uh just Kind of taking the expected and turning it on, it turning it on its ear a little bit, um, which led to some interesting things. Like the first for that series, you have a guy that he's the the lone wanderer, but he's not really confident. You know, he's he's kind of he's got reasons in his past to kind of doubt his abilities. He's he, he he feels compelled to go out and help people, but he's scared to fail. That kind of thing, and I think that's just something that everybody experiences to some degree or another. You know, self doubt. So watching this guy deal with it and overcome it, I think makes it you know even not even necessarily overcome it, just put it aside in order to do the right thing. I think that's something we all wish we could do. And the more you can, people can relate to the characters. I think the better. Um, with him specifically, talking about this best friend foil, I just gave him a dog. It was a shortcut because you don't even have to develop the dog. Just <laughs> he's having a down moment. The dog lays his head in the guy's lap and. everyone knows that's a decent person because a dog is a better judge of character than any person. It's a real John Wick move right there. (laughs) Pretty much. Yeah. Um, So that, and then I think a lot of the other stuff too, I think some of my best rounded characters are the, are the dads. Um, And it's three, three guys that didn't really like each other that they don't even realize they're, they're best friends and um, throwing them up against each other is, um, over the course of two books, we're really just a fun way to find like John's one of the characters and he's an asshole. We come to find out maybe he's an asshole because he, if he's a jerk first, no one's going to alienate him, you know. So there's a lot of that that plays out in just bickering and arguing and fun, fun back and forth of the characters. And they're kind of razzing each other as they're facing these horrible situations. So I, I think the, just the more interaction you have between the characters, the more you're going to see. Who that Who that character really is? And so you think
0: you do? You think you fi- you find your characterization in conflict and interaction?
2: Absolutely, in the dialogue. I really think so. I think it comes out, um, and in a lot of it. Uh, for as much as I say, I outline and I plan. A lot of the characterization comes about through that as it's as it's, as it's building. So it starts with something maybe maybe a little simple like the down on its luck lone warrior that's really not sure he's he's you know. Kind of a, bit of a bit of imposter syndrome going on there. Um, that kind of drives it, but it's it's dealing with that and interacting with the other characters and trying to hide it. That kind of shows it all. So a lot of yeah, a lot of the dialogue, a lot of the interaction, I think, is where a lot of its a lot of it comes from, and a lot of it uh, is exposed.
0: I am a huge fan of dialogue kind of driving story and characterization, which is probably not surprising knowing that I have kind of a theater background, as we talked about before. Um, but Luna. I'm curious about what. How do you how do you build your characters? What is what is the thing for you that makes your characters multidimensional?
1: Well, I want to say real quick, on the topic of dialogue, I'm reading a book right now that there is very very sparse dialogue throughout the entire story, and I'm noticing how much I miss dialogue in a story. Um, I don't feel like the author, and I won't say what the book is because. I don't want them coming after me. I'll tell you guys after we're not recording. <laughs> but I had <laughs> high hopes for this book. And I had read another book by this author where I thought, okay, there's a, there's a good balance between the two. And now it feels like sort of like a um, somebody is attempting to do a Stephen King, um, where a lot of it is interior and a lot of it is descriptive of what these people have gone through. And it feels like um, somebody is missing something. And I believe this author was also a screenwriter, like a, like a movie screenwriter. So there's no real that excuse feels like in my mind.
0: <laughs> dialogue heavy, right? Like you, you should think, be good right? at doing that. Yeah. yeah I wonder but if they were looking for something different, but I, I think about yeah. the idea of writing something without, you know, much dialogue is
1: one of, um, terrifying. You, may, you may not know this. I know this about me, but this is how I handle your stuff too. Um, if there's, if there's too much space without dialogue, it gets a note. Um, there can't there cannot be and and i i mean i i've written books that are written in first person present tense where okay the the whole thing is dialogue (laughs) essentially but the idea that dialogue is what exposes um everything for you i I came to the conclusion a while ago that um when people would ask and ben i think it's really interesting that you the, the way you describe how you 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 put yourself out there is the concept comes first my for me, concept is always like the last thing. It's almost baked into the character. My uh, my ideas always come as a guy who does X. I never can start with the concept because it always falls apart. So it always has to be almost like when I look at the movie posters of what I'm doing. The character is the story for me and i can't write any other way otherwise i do get these big swaths of like wait a minute nobody's talking to each other how do we know what's going on it's just descriptions um and my theory was we're not right I, and i believe i told somebody this because they really did just go into so much detail about um it's probably somebody i was editing it's not you clayton um just describing the room and then never had the character to do anything in the rest of this chapter i had to describe to you, you're not you're not writing a setting you're not writing a background you're writing characters the setting is where you put them but you have to have them come off the page somehow so if you go for too long without them even being on the page you've you know you've kind of you've kind of missed something but i think um, too
0: you know I, but uh, yes totally and but also uh, I think where one of my failings is like I rely too much on dialogue for characterization. So what is the what is the balance balance. of, you know, description and characterization and internal conversation and uh which I hope you will tie into how you write your characters. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um my characters come as profiles. I really do as part of my 50, 50, 30 to 50 pages of notes. Which um, is just
0: violence. Go on.
1: <laughs> it makes me feel so good when I get to the page 50. Um, there's a profile. There's really just a bullet pointed list of what what are the qualities of this person. And I try not to go too deep in there, but I need, I need to end up with four or five sentences that tell me this person's family background, this person's... Um, Current, situ, you know, current situation and how they feel about it what this person is hoping to achieve the i know in the musical theater structure there's an i want song i always kind of you know have to encapsulate what does this person want because that's going to be the carrot at the end of the stick for the whole thing so once i have all of that in place um it really does become um almost like piling modeling clay onto an armature for me um I don't know if anybody really <laughs> pays attention closely enough, but I do not describe my characters physically very much. I try not to reference that because that to me is something that the no matter what you say, the reader is going to have their own in, in, you know interpretation of what that is. So there's no sense in um, building that up. And I had to unlearn that. That was a big thing for me when I first started writing. Every character, when they showed up for the first time, got this like treatment of, From head to toe what they look like and how they were it was great practice but i started to see it as like a crutch and so it became don't describe your character actually portray your character and that's where building them through dialogue and through their own interior motivation became this sort of juggling act where you say okay i can let them think and feel and narrate them in this way for so only so long before i have to have them speak and either betray what I just said so that we can see that their interior monologue and the way I've set them up is, you know, not showing you everything because who wants to see everything about the character or I have to have another character come in and sort of interact with them. So I think what I end up doing, maybe this is what you end up doing too, with the dialogue heavy stuff is I will have writing sessions where I just write a conversation. I just write, here's this character interacting with this character. I need to hear what they're going to say to each other. And it really is it involves speaking out loud to myself to develop that character's rhythms, that character's characteristics really, and how they will a character if a character falls in force and there's nobody there to hear it, you know, is it really a character? The character exists because other characters are there to interact with them. So I will I will force myself to say there's no description in this particular I'm going to sit down and just write for an hour. I'm just going to write what these people are saying to each other. Then I'll go back to that and I'll say, okay, this character had a thought here. And this character had an impulse based on what these people thought. Slowly, this pattern emerges where I can say, this is the template for this person. And I know now who they are at their core. And that usually comes within the first couple of chapters. And from that point, I take them and I poke them in places to say, how am I going to make you grow to get you to the point where you need to go? Um, who am I going to make you interact with that's going to challenge you because you want challenges and all your characters um, and how am I going to make you feel with every passage that kind of comes through so that you are the star of the show so that I don't describe the room more than I describe the interactions of you know what's going on between the two characters that, that are in the scene.
0: It's interesting. So you kind of, in a sense, you kind of start externally. I mean, it's their words, but you know, the words coming out of their mouths into the world um, kind of drives your characterization. Is that
1: a fair? That is. Thing that to is. Say? And it's probably because when I put them in the situation. So if I say, with Joe Vampire," it's a the one liner is it's just a regular guy who turned into a vampire and it sucks. I mean, really, when you say that, all right, that's a lot. <laughs> that that gives you the kernel of the character. Yeah, you can say. Okay, he's angry, he's disappointed, you know, like it, it really informs it. So once I get my one-liner, one that I'm working on, a guy who starts a cult to, you know, raise money because he doesn't want to pay his bills. You know, that, something like that tells me, okay, he's kind of shiftless, he's a little bit lazy, um, you know, how does he... So my one-liner will actually start to build the character, and then from there, I have to kind of go into... Okay, I've got a t- you know i got a little puppet to play with now. Let's kind of make him work and see what we can build outward, layer I think that's really layer to layer with him. Yeah,
0: because I when I so my process is so different. And when I started writing Apocalypse which is my first novel, um, I was really struggling with characterization. Like I I I had I probably half a dozen starts to that novel, and it. it they all got scrapped because I didn't feel like the, the main character was anything that anyone could relate to, including me. And I, I think in hindsight, a lot of the disconnect for me as a writer at that point in my, in my, you know, writer journey was that I had only written short stories until then. And I, mm-hmm. so I have a I have a question about that coming up, but, um, I think writing for a short story, like writing a character for a short story, is very different than writing a character for a full novel. Um, and so when I tried to do it for Apocalypticon, it was really challenging, and I didn't find... you know It, it took me a long time to find uh, a character that really resonated with me, and the way I finally did it was actually working what I would consider kind of inside-out as opposed to outside-in with, you know, dialogue first, characterization second. Mine was inside, very deeply inside in that... When I was thinking about Apocalypticon, at its core, it's kind of a road trip novel, you know, through the post-apocalyptic world. Sure, but it's a it's a it's a road trip novel, and so the person that I have been on the most road trips with in my life is my friend Patrick, and you know, he and I, are, you know, we have a very um, unique you know friendship relationship, and like we're very close, and we you know we have a lot of fun. So I, after like so many failed attempts at a character. For that novel, I was like, I was sitting down thinking, God, like, why can't I figure this out? Why can't I write a a, a character that's multidimensional, that makes sense? Who would I want it to be? And, you know, Patrick, of course, we've done, you know, we've done road trips to the Northeast. We've done road trips to California and Tijuana. Like, we've, you know, we've been, we've, we've done a lot of those trips. And I was like, I need a character who's like Patrick. And so I wrote a character who is Patrick, right? <laughs> so that was, like, kind of my big aha moment. And as soon as I started thinking about the lead character in Apocalypticon as my actual friend Patrick, suddenly the characterization fell into place. Like, it was a fully formed character because I could visualize how, you know, the real world Patrick would engage in things. And, you know, the the fictionalized version is a, a lot of me mixed in with that. Like, how would I, you know, whatever. But... um. To me, like the, the breakthrough I had when I started really characterizing my, my characters was, who could I model this after? And so Apocalypticon is actually, it's, it's full of people I've stolen characters from. Like Patrick <laughs> is a real person. Ben is a real person. Um, Patrick and Ben in real life know each other, right? And Patrick and Ben, like, and they, they interact in similarly to the way that the characters do. Um, but you know, even the, the, the woman at the bridge when they first leave, like that's a friend of mine, like the, you know, the, the people at, um, Fort doom, those are friends of mine. Like, uh, there are so many people along the way, like every, every important character in that story was modeled off a person I actually know. And that's how I actually learned how to write characters that can sustain. Um, and I, Which
1: that's really what you're doing, even when you don't do it, even when you don't realize it, you're putting together characteristics from an assemblage in your head of, I know these people who do this, I know these people who do this, and then you kind of, you know, spike it with all kinds of weird stuff that nobody does that you know, in order to get, like you're saying, the authenticity so that it feels like it's a relatable person, even if they're unlikable. I've I've written a character who... I've heard more often than not, wow, who likes this character? And it turns out um, I really defended that because I don't think a character has to be likable to be relatable. I think you have to trust the character and you have to trust the writer to know that if they're showing you something ugly about the world or about characters or they're in pain and you're seeing them act out in that, there's reason for that. Um, But that comes from a, a place of reality for everybody. And even with my Joe character, my friends read it afterwards and they said, it just sounds like you talking about being a vampire. (laughs) So I had that crutch of like the vernacular that I was going to use and the way he was going to speak was going to be a lot like me. So it gave me a a playground that was already there for me. And then I just had to kind of build the character in that. Um, So tapping into that is really, maybe that's what people resist. Maybe they think I got to come up with something completely fictitious and completely new. And then, it, they struggle with well wait a minute why don't you just model it after your mom you don't have to tell her it's her or you know you can change it right. later. but it gives you that framework without well, also, so much like work how to can me.
0: you model something totally separate because every character is going to yeah. have you in it right that's true ben yeah. do you feel like that's true like what's your what's your take on all this like do you do you separate yourself your characters or do you really inject yourself into them
2: i do but i think um again i i hope i'm not like too many of my characters, like a lot of my characters, are would be rather embarrassing to be like. But I think you're you're absolutely right. Like a lot of the characters are modeled after people I know, um, to a certain extent. Um, I had a boss that was just um, he was he was fantastic. But man, he was I mean he was a character. You just, um, former military tough guy. He's about five foot seven. Like you just like you know, but he was just like a badger man he was just amazing and he was uh but he he had a way of talking he had mannerisms and he's made it into uh, a couple of my books um he passed away about a year and a half ago which is sad but uh but I think what what happens with um with that I think and I didn't take him the whole cloth it was a lot of his mannerisms that just made me laugh like he knew more like west texas metaphors and you know tits on a turtle well diggers asks busier in a one-handed one-legged uh fireman a door kicking contest like he just like just for days he had them all and um i think what i think when you guys were talking and maybe it's funny because i think a lot of what we do we just we do um luna you you have a hundred pages for everything you do. I get it. Like you, you really all the things you're saying and the thought you've put into this. You know, that, I'm like, Oh God, I think I do that too. But I think when, when you, you, ha- and you have to borrow from, from real life to, otherwise you have the same character a hundred times. But I think what, what helps make a character a little more rounded is you take that caricature and kind of explain why it is, right? And that's why I think you can have, yeah. Like I, the, the the Stockwell character is one of my favorites so much that I have one of his descendants in the last book I wrote. And this is this book is um, <laughs> we're talking about dialogue and stuff like that. This one was a little bit more in his own head. So you got to he he was in the first book in the series and he wasn't a well liked character. And this book is all about him and it's all through him. But you get to start to understand why they are the way they are and why they think those. Um, that way of dealing with people is the right way to do it, or whatever. And I think you start to empathize and you start to see it. But I think that's what takes. Like, even if like Yosemite Sam is such a caricature and a two dimensional thing, if you start to go into his life and go, wait, why is he always shooting everything? Why does he feel that you know (laughs) rooting and, rooting and tooting is really the way to life? I think that's where you get a character. But you can still start with that attitude. To fill in a character in the book, and then just kind of start to explain it a little better through through dialogue, through actions, all that, and just that's how you get the the, the more rounded character. But I think it, it definitely borrow heavily from, uh, and again, a lot of my stuff is from the archetypes of of different genres and stuff like that. Like there, it's this character, but okay, why is the um why is the dashing smuggler really thinking this is the way to way to go about things, you know? Are they really – I don't know. Is crime really their thing? I don't know. Are they forced into it? That kind of stuff, that's what really gets into the deeper character. But you just have uh – I think peeling apart archetypes is a is a fun way to look at it and a fun way to do it. And then even taking, I, I, and I think it's, I, I've never put anyone in a book. To, I put one lady in a book one time to just destroy her because it was it was a bad thing. It was a short story. <laughs> um, but for most everybody that I did, I would say like, oh, that's kind of based on someone I know, I've I've done it out of nothing but nothing but love just because I find them so fascinating. Like that they stand out as a notable character in life is, you know, quite a quite a testament to them to begin with.
0: Yeah, I think characters and, you know, if you're writing fiction, the whole the whole game is you're you're taking a storyline and characters and whatever and you're amplifying and you're changing in your, you know, really blowing them up and making them the most you know ridiculous versions or the most romantic versions or the most, you know, the scariest versions of themselves, whatever. Um, there's a lot of power, I think, in, in drawing from what, you know, like you always hear that adage, like right where, you know, and I think more like right maybe that's, you know, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like it's a, yeah. it's so much more, it's, it's better advice than you even think it is because yeah. it's what that's you know is trying. your whole life, right? Yeah. Your, your actions and the people and, your influences and everything. Like you take all of that and you put it into a book and that's, that's how you write.
1: Do either of you find that there's a point where your characters are so well-developed that they start just kind of running the show and you, you have them go into places that you weren't expecting. Ben, you're very structured with what you write. Like there's not a lot of, there's wiggle room, but there's not a lot of places to go like, wait a minute. I didn't expect them to commit this crime. And now I have to, you know, totally change my outline. Do you guys find that? to be a distraction if it happens or do you work it in as a sale? it's telling that's me the, something.
2: No, that's the fun. That's what, and the, even in the way I outline, I'd leave myself that room. Like, like I'll go in and like, I'll have, if it's a, if it's a conversation between two characters or whatever, if it's th- that scenes about a character, there's still, and even in the, my roughest of outlines, I start to write the dialogue talking about how, how I see the character coming together. The dialogue happens and that's when it, it'll go off the rails. But I like to do it then because that way I don't have to rewrite whole chapters later when that character takes over. But I still get to enjoy, yeah, characters just like didn't didn't think they'd do that. But when you look at it, that's exactly what that lady would do or that guy would do. So it's uh, no, that's that's the fun that I I was worried about losing when I started really getting into outlining. But it's it's, it's still there. Yeah, still there. they
1: start to make their own sense and you just like them.
2: <laughs> and you know if the most structured member
0: of our little trio here uh, finds joy in that you know that the <laughs> most unstructured member, which is me also like finds it's so much
1: joy festival. To,
0: Yeah, I mean to me in you know just like Ben said, like that's that's the joy of writing like figuring out what the fuck these characters are gonna do. like I have no idea like even if I have an idea of how they're like how the story starts and ends, how they get there, that's on them, you know, and it's really, <laughs> it's exciting me. and it's fun. Yeah. They you really, it. truly like you tell me and I'll start writing things. And I, I mean, every book I've ever written, I have been surprised by what the character has told me about what they want to do, you know? And I, yeah. it, to make it, it, to put it in, more, in terms that people who aren't writers might not roll their eyes at, like <laughs> <laughs> when you're writing a character, you're, you, you, if you get deep into their motivations you get sometimes surprised by what they decide to do because you're like oh you know I as as a as as Clayton Smith I would do this but actually this character this is his path and I think he would do this you know and so mm-hmm. and that's surprising every time because they you know whatever whoever your characters are and however you develop them they always are a part of you right yeah. you are you you're infused into that and so i think that the fact that a character that you that is you know partly you can surprise you that's a really it's a special thing it's amazing it's yeah like I, I kinda one of the most fun ne- parts of writing
1: i think it's almost necessary because what you have on your one list of notes or 10 list of notes well whatever you've got before you start it's very mechanical like it's it's your best guess at okay (laughs) this is how i want it to turn out but when it starts leading you if you're to deny that readers can tell like readers will say this didn't make any sense and really the declaration that the writer would make was well when i laid it out i had to get from here to here to here so i had to make this nonsensical thing happen instead of being able to roll with the punches and let it change and let it evolve while you write it i know a lot of writers who stop who say well, it didn't go where I thought it was going to go, so I stopped. And I'm like, well, what would happen if you just let it go where it was going? Would that be so horrible or would that – Yeah,
0: don't be afraid of it, be right? Better? Let it go. Yeah, let it yeah.
1: embrace it and learn to trust yourself. Get to That's a point the best where part. you can trust yourself and say, I I know – I've killed people. <laughs> I've killed characters well, that I didn't want to die that because they needed to die.
2: <laughs> and that was always the most fun part. Or just going back to the, thinking about the, the first few books I wrote, there was always that – yeah, the characters took it somewhere else. It wasn't going where I wanted to go. It was terrified it was never going to finish. And then there's somewhere in that just last 75% where it all clicked.
1: Yeah, it all comes like, together. Like, oh, yeah. shit, it all works out.
2: Yeah, it was and it was always a surprise and a delight every time. And, and thank God, because it had to have an end. But there was somewhere, <laughs> like, I, and half the time I didn't see it coming. Yeah. You know, and it, and it was something when you go back and look, oh, well, I didn't even realize I'd set this up. You know, it feels like, like, you know, it's in your head,
1: you're sleeping, you know, when you're, when you're asleep, it's all these things are assembling in a way that you hope are going to rise to the surface when you're conscious again, so that it, it fulfills you. And you really do. I mean, there's no fun in writing. If really all you're doing is just dictating, you know, the next story to yourself, you really want to be told the story while you're telling the story. So it has to be Mm. exciting. Yeah. yeah, That's that's why we keep
0: writing, right? Because we keep being surprised by our own work, by the, the things we create. Absolutely. Yeah.
1: yeah.
0: Agreed. Right. It feels this is this has been uh, a little longer I think than uh, than our normal and I longer than I thought. This has been so good. Thank you both.
1: Yeah. Well, Thank you. Great topic. Good, good choice. You're yeah. welcome. Thank Hello, you everybody.
0: Yeah. Um well, we'll see you in a couple weeks with a new episode and that's Ben's and you know, I can't wait to see what Ben comes up with because you won't tell us <laughs> so <I really laughs> really we're going to have to wait
1: in one way or another <laughs>